0: and uh, doing something else. Well, uh, this, uh, this Sunday, we're doing uh, something slightly different for us. We, twice a year, try to do an intentional members meeting or members update. And so today, that's what we're doing. So if you didn't catch that at the beginning of the service, uh, right as we end this service, which should be at about the hour mark, uh, we're going to move from there into a members update. And so if you're a guest, uh, you can feel free. Like, if you're just checking the church out, you can feel free at that time. We'll give you the signal. Uh, go get your kids from Kids Ministry and and head out. Uh, enjoy coffee and donut on the patio if you'd like to do that. Uh, or, but if you are a member of Cross of Grace or you consider this your church home, we want to encourage you stay. Uh, here's some important, but brief, but important uh, members updates that we're going to be walking through today. All right, so that's kind of what we are doing right now. And, uh, It's going to be helpful if I actually get my message. I don't even know what these are. I could preach the songs. We we do sing great songs, and I probably could preach them, but uh, that's not what I plan to do. So if you have a Bible, please turn to the book of Ephesians, if you would. The book of Ephesians. If you're new to your Bible, the book of Ephesians is in the New Testament. In the last kind of, uh, let me say, 10% of the Bible is where you're looking for that book. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, there's some on the back table. We would love for you to have one of those as our gift to you. Now, uh, last week we talked about how the church in Ephesus began in Acts chapter 19. It was a memorable beginning. But today we're going to do something uh, unique. We're going to just look at the greeting, at the opening to the letter of Ephesians, uh, to the Ephesians. And in that opening, I think you're going to find two things. First, this appears to be a very mundane, almost boring introduction. You may It may be the kind of thing that in your Bible, when you get to this section and you're reading through the Scriptures, you just go, okay, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, then your eyes kind of land on verse 3. It's a mundane, seemingly mundane, everyday introduction, but I believe it contains much more than we expect. And in that, in finding something Unexpected and glorious in the mundane, I believe we're going to see what God has for us today. So, Ephesians chapter 1, we're just going to read verses 1 and 2 together. This is God's word. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and who are faithful. In Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is God's word. And Lord, we pray that as we open your word today, you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Lord, may we not miss what you have for us in the mundane details of life, the mundane moments of life. Lord, I really do pray that this would be a transforming text for the way that we see the world around us. We pray that in Jesus' name. Well, this week at the church office, I got a new church credit card. And I got a new church credit card because I go by Ricky. Everybody often knows me as Ricky, but my real name is Jose Ricardo Alcantar, right? That may be a surprise to you. You're like, what? Uh, yes, yes, your pastor's name is Jose. And you're thinking, wait, this changes everything for me. No, it shouldn't. But the reason, the reason that I got this new credit card was this. Every time for a work trip on behalf of the church, we go somewhere and I have to rent a car, I run into the same problem. Uh, The person at the, the car rental counter will say, great, give me a credit card, and I'll give her the credit card, and they'll say, give me your license, and I'll give her the license, and they'll look at the credit card and look at the license and look up at me. And immediately their face changes from happy, like rental employee that's happy because they're going to sell you a $5,000 insurance plan, Uh, goes from that to this isn't good, you know. And they start looking at me like I'm a criminal. They start looking at me like I have a a box, uh, I mean, a a briefcase of of different passports with different names and a bunch of counterfeit bills in my bag. And they're looking at me going, oh man, okay, I'm going to have to talk to the manager about this. Ricky. <laughs> Let's just see about that, you know? And so I'm just, okay, there we go. So every time, and sometimes you get a person that they're just like, it's funny, I, I will say this. Anybody who's a Hispanic is like, yeah, whatever. Ricky. Jose Ricardo. That's, that makes perfect sense to me. Everybody else is like, I don't know. I don't know about this, man. And so I finally got a new credit card so that I didn't appear to be a con man on the run and hold up the church staff, every time we travel. And, and to be frank, when I got the credit card this week, I'd been having kind of a grumpy, stressful, frustrated week. Uh, it, it was one of those weeks, if you've ever had one, that you feel, it feels like everything you do is like another small problem that gets added to a pile of problems. So I got the credit card, I opened it up. Here it is, this little green one. I opened it up, saw the credit card, saw, okay, great, they fixed my name. And for whatever reason, maybe it's because I'd been studying the book of Ephesians, whatever reason, I looked down at the card, and it just says, Jose Alcantad, Cross of Grace Church. And it was in that moment that I, I thought, that's amazing. One, it's amazing because it, it, I think of my family. Um, I'm the third in a line of Jose Alcantad's. so I'm the third one. So immediately, like, I can't look at my name without thinking of my dad, without thinking of his dad. That is... That is unbelievable grace. I've, I've been blessed by God with having a great family. Uh, and Cross of Grace Church. Not, not only do I first think I should be amazed that I am still a Christian and go to Cross of Grace Church, but I'm actually an employee. I'm a pastor at the church which is unbelievable, insane grace. And so in a moment, I felt like I went from, okay, great, another detail of my life to where God just kind of stopped me and said, look at the card and remember the grace of God in your life. You've been gifted this family. You've been gifted a church family. You've been gifted a vocation doing this. That is unbelievable. It was a mundane moment of opening another piece of mail that suddenly I saw the grace of God in. And this is what I want to I help us see today. Our lives are filled with mundane moments where we, if we do not catch it, will miss the grace of God in our lives. The, the, the introduction to the book of Ephesians is what at first appears a very mundane introduction. It has the guy writing, the people he's writing to, a short hello. Now let's really get into things in verse 3. But that's actually not what's going on at all. It is filled to the brim with the grace of God, if only we know where to look. So the big question today is this. Can you see God's radical grace... Even in the mundane, everyday stuff of life? That's the question. First section today, God's grace in our story. Now, uh, this letter has some features that are included in nearly every letter in the New Testament and were included as a matter of course in the first century with many letters. First of all, uh, the writer. At the very top of the scroll there would be, who is the writer? First, verse 1, Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus. Now, that seems very mundane to us. We're, we're, if you've been around the church for any length of time, you've heard about the apostle Paul, or depending on the church background, St. Paul, right? Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Right, Our, our, our eyes just kind of move on from that. But that is perhaps one of the most shocking phrases in first century Judaism. Paul was a Pharisee meaning he was a trained and skilled Jewish interpreter of the law. Think of almost like a religious lawyer in a sense. He was trained by one of the best in uh, Jerusalem, Gamaliel. He was perhaps the most zealous persecutor of a new sect of Judaism that he viewed as being dangerous and destructive and evil, and he was so zealous that he went from town to town with authorization to bully and intimidate and destroy and throw in jail and some believe even kill people. This new sect called the way or the followers of Jesus made it his life ambition to stamp this group out. That's why it is shocking to read that he is an apostle of Christ Jesus. So an apostle literally meant a sent one, an ambassador, someone sent with the authority of someone else. Well, who is sending Paul? He, that, that is Jesus Christ. Notice this, Paul isn't even an acquaintance of Jesus. He is not an employee of Jesus. He is an ambassador, and in a sense, an emissary, somebody who comes with the authority of Jesus himself. So how in the world did Paul go from hater of Jesus to missionary of Jesus? Notice the phrase Paul inserts right there. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by or because of, The will of God. God willed it, and so it happened. Look, in in the story of Acts, if you don't know it, Paul is literally on the road to Damascus to persecute more Christians, to prosecute more Christians, where when a blinding light appears to him on the road and stops him in his tracks, and he sees in the light the person of Jesus Christ, Christ, the risen, resurrected Jesus himself. Now look, in that story, Paul's will was bent toward persecution. He was bent toward the hatred of Jesus and his people, right? And the result of Paul's actions should have been, yep, Jesus showing up to judge him. (laughs) Jesus showing up to beat him down, to take him down, but Paul does not receive what he deserved. Paul's will was bent away from Christ, but God's will was that Paul become a disciple of Jesus Christ. No, not just a disciple, an apostle of Jesus Christ. God stops him. God's will outmatches Paul's in a radical act of grace. Look, this is grace. The simplest definition you can give of grace that I think is beautiful and succinct is, is simply this grace is God's unmerited favor. If you're new to your Bible, you have to get this. Grace is all over the scriptures, especially the New Testament. You need to get what this is. I want us, this is so important. I want us to say this together. Grace is God's unmerited favor. Let's say this together. Grace is God's unmerited favor. Unmerited. A.W. Tozer expounds on this a bit where he says, Grace is the good pleasure of God." that inclines him to bestow benefits on the undeserving. Well, why? Why would God do that? Why would he be inclined to bestow benefits on the undeserving? If you're, if you're actually keeping track of this in your mind, that doesn't make any sense. That's grace. If it makes sense, it's probably not grace. If it makes sense, oh yeah, of course, that person merited this, so therefore they receive that. That's not grace. That's getting what they deserve. Grace is getting what you do not deserve, bestowal of of goodness on the undeserving. Now look, this is Paul's story, but Paul's story is in a sense, in miniature, the story of every Christian who comes to know Christ. Even though we may not all be, we're not called to be apostles in the technical sense of the New Testament. If in Ephesians 2, Paul will say in this book later that we once followed the course of evil. We once essentially followed the devil, but God stopped us. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. And again, he says resoundingly in Ephesians 2, by grace you have been saved. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift. Right? This, this story encapsulated in the life of the Apostle Paul is our story. And so often we miss it. So often when we think of our story, we miss the radical act of grace in our lives. Like one of the most powerful moments I think I've, I've had in ministry was when I first became lead pastor a number of years ago, I sat down with uh, some of the longtime members of the church, people who had been here kind of from the beginning, from the early 80s. And so I I kind of gathered them up just to, to meet with them and pray with them. And one of the things I wanted to do was just to hear how the church began, get a sense of the story of the church. And so I started with this question. I started with, how did the church start? But every single person did not answer that question by saying, well, we started meeting in this room and then, and then we moved to this room and then we, you know, we set up chairs. Nobody started there. You know where everybody started? Everybody started with this. Let me tell you how God stopped me. I remember sitting in a living room with story after story One person shared, I was living a double life and could have kept going on forever, but God stopped me. Another person said, I I was thinking, I was so hopeless and lost, I was thinking of taking my own life, and God stopped me. Another person saying, I was so good at the religious game. I was so good at being self-righteous, and yet God, in his mercy, stopped me. Or another person, I sat in church every week, going through the motions, inwardly hating it, and one, one, one day, God stopped me. Or another person, I, my marriage broke up, and I had nowhere to go, and I was absolutely hopeless and helpless, and God stopped me. Church, this is the beginning of every Christian's story. That we have been stopped by the radical grace of God. That, that if you were to insert your name into verse one, Ricky, comma, a servant of Jesus Christ, a disciple of Jesus Christ, if you were to put your name in that sentence, there should be something in that that, that goes in, that you, see, you think inwardly, that doesn't make any sense. Why? It should be Ricky, a self-righteous jerk, Ricky, a hater of Jesus, Ricky, leader of a double life. But instead, it is Ricky, a disciple of Jesus. Oh, friend, look, what, what is your story? I want to encourage you this week to think about your story and remember God's radical grace to you. Whether it seems dramatic or not dramatic, uh... I always joke with Vince, one of our former pastors who's now in Prague. I joke with him that nobody ever wanted to follow his testimony because he had one of those testimonies of like he was literally doing drugs when God stopped him and, and brought his heart to life. And, and after that, nobody's like, well, I, just, I was saved in VBS. I you know, like that doesn't seem like dramatic. <laughs> Think of it, though. All of us were like Paul, going one way walking one way, when God's will interrupted us and saved us. That's the only reason anybody's going this way. Anybody going in the direction of following Jesus? No. It wasn't like somebody woke up, you know what I think? I'm going to investigate the claims of Jesus. And then you investigate them. And you're like, they seem pretty valid. And then you begin to follow Jesus. That, that's nobody's story. I've never heard that story. It was, I was going this way and Jesus stopped me. God's grace in our story Second, God's grace in our identity. Now we're going to get to who he is writing to. Who is Paul writing to? It says, to the saints who are in Ephesus. Now, that word saints is also a radical word. Uh, If you're from a Catholic background, you're like, that doesn't say that. Because often the Catholic scriptures translated as the holy ones, and, and they're actually they're right. <laughs> it, that's what it means. Saints literally means the holy ones. They mean the same thing. And in the Old Testament, in the background of the Old Testament, this, this was a rich word full of meaning. In the Old Testament, God was holy, holy, holy. He was the thing set apart. Holy literally just means set apart apart, right? So he was the one set apart and above creation, but we quickly see when humanity falls and sin pervades the world, the other aspect of holiness that's so important is his set-apartness from sin, set-apartness from injustice or evil. God is fully, completely set apart. And so what God does in the Old Testament is he, he begins to gather a people that are set apart from the other people's. From sin and injustice, and and there's all this rich symbolism in the Old Testament. Think think of of the tabernacle, right? This special tent of meeting between God and His people, and there were all these regulations for this is how you have to handle this in the tabernacle, and don't let this happen, and be careful of this, and and all of these things, and. And you'd think, okay, what is the point of all of this? Well, there's a number of things going on, but one of the most important points is this, that everything that represented God was made to be in the presence of God must be holy and set apart from the sin and stain and evil and injustice of the world. The priests would go through purification after purification after purification to symbolically enter into the presence of God of god the temple was holy there were holy objects right this word holy set apart was rich in meaning now this week i i did what's you know a pr- pretty common google search for me i googled how to become a saint and i found uh, the very helpful website WikiHow. so same guys that teach you how to like unclog a drain are now giving you the directions for a saint. So I love it. So a few, few steps here. Uh, first, live an exemplary and pious life. What they mean when they say that is basically nobody's even aware of you you're, you're sinning, right? You may have a little sin somewhere, like, oh, I did get upset briefly at my child Thursday, but I haven't done it since then. You know, you got to have that kind of a life, exemplary, pious, also do good to all those around you, every single person, usually, helpfully, if possible, on a global scale. Okay, you're like, oh, okay, well, that, sure. And you're thinking, anybody who's thinking, I can hang in there, I, I think I'm all right. I did, actually didn't sin since last Thursday, and I am a pretty good person. Okay, next up on the list, perform at least two miracles <laughs> that are investigated and uh, verified. So, you should be dropping out now. Uh, <laughs> then, I love, the, 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 the people at WikiHow helpfully point out that at the end, dying as a martyr really helps. <laughs> so, if you, if you get to some kind of situation there, there you go. And then, there is a multi-step process of review, usually taking decades, all right? Now, look, we're, I'm just, saying this partially for a little bit of humor here, and I'm fully aware. Look, my whole extended family is Catholic. I'm fully aware that when Catholics speak of saints, they, they, they're, they're translating it and thinking of it differently than the use of Ephesians chapter 1. But I want to point out something. That, that process, those requirements of no sin, do good to everyone, walk so with the Lord that the miraculous is just a part of your everyday life, At great cost, no matter what, every day of every every moment of every day of every decade of your life, that is actually what it would take for you to be called a saint, a holy one, a set apart one in the sight of God. But as we are gonna see in Ephesians, these people are not perfect. They're not living a perfectly exemplary, pious life. So how in the world can Paul the Apostle have the audacity to take a bunch of, of people and say, oh, you're saints. You're holy ones of God. How in the world? And, and notice this, not even just saints, but saints in Ephesus. Ephesus. Now, Ephesus is likely the, the fifth largest city in the Roman Empire, and its, its fame was renowned in the Roman world as a religious center. As we talked about last week, one of the great wonder, wonders of the world, like the pyramids, was in Ephesus, the temple of Artemis. And so pilgrims would come from all around, and the city was saturated with pagan spirituality. It's the thing that gave lifeblood to their local economy. Like the way that in in El Paso, the, the, the border and trade and Fort Bliss are often two of the big economic drivers in Ephesus. It was idolatry. It was magic. It was books. It was pilgrimage. And yet somehow... Some of these Gentiles who remember in Acts 19, they're burning their books of dark, evil magic full of idolatry. Paul, all of a sudden, is like, Yep, even you, Gentiles from Ephesus, whose house have little cubbies for all of your idols that you've now taken out, but they were once there and the stain of it is still in your house. You are saints, even in Ephesus. How is that possible? Look at the next phrase. And f- are faithful in Jesus Christ or in Christ Jesus. That, that term faithful can either mean that they are faithful or that they are full of faith. And on balance, it's actually probably more close to f- full of faith. Full of faith in what? In Christ Jesus, How can it be that that sinners become saints, that failures are called faithful, that the set apart as being the worst of the worst pagans in the world are now set apart as being the holiest of the holy, right? Two of the most powerful words in scripture right here make the connection in Christ. That's why. That is the only reason, apart from that phrase, this sentence could not be written. There would be no saints in Ephesus, apart from being in Christ. Look, remember that when Paul is on the road to Damascus, he he is on the road, and, and, and Jesus appears in front of him. Does anybody remember what Paul says? Paul, Paul, or Saul, Saul, why what? Why do you persecute... Me, me, Jesus says, but Paul would probably be thinking, I haven't persecuted you, I haven't even seen you before, I don't know what you're talking about. What's Jesus referring to? His people. That in faith, when people believe in Christ, they are united to Christ in such a way that to persecute one of them means to persecute Christ. What does that mean? That they are in Christ, that they are united to him in such a way that that when Christ died, he died for them, them, or they died with them. And when he rose, they rose with him, right? He died. When when he was on the cross, he died for their pagan, sinful, failure-filled lives, and all of it was wiped away. All of it was wiped away. All the uncleanness, all the paganism, all the evil, all the injustice in the sight of God were wiped away. Why? Not because they wiped it away, but because they were in Christ. And so now their very identity is not to the people in Ephesus that will see how holy you are this week in the sight of God. I've got a few things to talk to you about now. Paul just says at the beginning, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. That phrase, in Christ, changes everything. This is the grace of God. This is their their grace, their identity by grace. Now look, I am, as I mentioned, an Alcantar. And so one of the things that, that I've, I've benefited from in being an Alcantara that is that my family, that sometimes if people like my dad, all of a sudden they'll be okay with me. Um, or my grandfather. I, I remember uh, when I was in high school, uh, I think summers I would work, a few summers I worked at my dad and grandfather's business. And so my grandfather would say, we're going to go to lunch. And one of his favorite things to do is to go to lunch downtown at, the, at what he called the club so you had to be a member of it. It's at the top of the one Santa Santa Plaza building. So you go to the club, and I remember, you know, my grandfather was was a little bit slower because he was older than me, and so I would kind of waltz up to the the front desk at the club, the El Paso Club, right? And I'd waltz up to the front desk, and there would be this. These, the waiters are always very like, very proper, you know, and very like courteous, and so, and they're greeting all these people coming in, and everybody's coming in in a suit, and I'm coming in in like a dirty polo from the warehouse or whatever, and. And the, I just remember the guy looking at me and kind of going like, who's this kid, right? This is, are you going to be lost, buddy? And, and I could see he's almost about to give me the, the price, the, you know, the menu prices and just go like, this isn't what you're looking for, bud, um, and send me on my way. But if around the corner would come my grandfather, who all the waiters knew, everything would change. So he comes around the corner and all of a sudden... Mr. Alcantad, you know, everybody's happy to see him and they're greeting him and, 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 and basically welcoming him. And I'm now with him. They're realizing, okay, that little kid in the high school dirty polo is with that guy. So all of a sudden, the warmest greeting imaginable is extended to me. Is there anything we can get you, son? You know, mijo, is there anything you need? You know, and, and I'm like, well, well, I right, mean, uh, I'll have a, give me a Coke with maraschino cherries, please. You know, like, all of a sudden, he was just, sure, whatever. If you're with Mr. Alcantara, we've got it. Did I earn any of that? No. In a truer, deeper, greater way, in the sight of the Father, as, as the people in Ephesus, as the believers in Ephesus come in with all of the idolatry of their past, all the sins of the weak, all of the tension between Jews and Gentiles, as we'll see, all of the struggles in marriages, as we'll see, all, as, all the parenting struggles, as we'll see, as they come in with all of that, their status, according to themselves, would be far away from the Lord, right in the mix of the world, full of injustice and evil and sin. And yet, when... The people in Ephesus, the believers in Ephesus, come into the presence of God. They do not come on their own. They come with Christ, such that they have died with Christ, such that they have been raised with Christ, such that they are now in Christ. That if they have been justified by faith and united to Christ by faith, every moment of every day their status is in Christ, saints, holy ones. Those embraced and loved by the Father. Christian, that is the way God views you if you are in Christ. It's going to be unpacked over the next number of weeks. But Christian, just hear this today. In Christ, you are a saint. In Christ, You've been united forever to the Son of God, and you will not be pried away. That's your identity, your grace in Christ, uh, grace in your story, grace in your identity, and now grace in your life. Now, finally, verse 2. Paul says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now Paul, in a sense, is, is blessing them with this greeting. This He's praying over them. He, he's saying, may God give you grace and peace. But here's what's puzzling. If what we've just talked about is true, hasn't God already given them grace? Hasn't he already given them saving grace and Christ uniting by faith grace? So, so why would he say that grace to you? Or rather, may grace be with you Now, when we, we speak of God's grace, we, we sometimes speak of his decisive kindness and mercy, his saving grace, as it were. But grace is not just, the grace from God is not just a decisive deluge of mercy. It is, well, it is a constant reality for the Christian. Uh, Wayne Grudem says this, and I think it's so helpful. He says this, in the New Testament, and especially in Paul, not only the forgiveness of sins but also, the entire living of the Christian life can be seen to result from God's continuous bestowal of grace. I'm going to read that again. Not only the forgiveness of sin but also the entire living of the Christian life can be seen to result from God's continuous bestowal of grace. This is what Paul is asking. Paul is saying, listen, the grace of God has come to you. He's going to unpack that in Ephesians 1 through 3. But he is also asking, God, give more grace. Continually bestow your grace, your favor, your unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor on your people. Please, God. Look, the problem is often that we're so used to God's grace that we don't even see it. But God's grace is not just what saves us. God's grace transforms even the most mundane part of our lives to places where we see God's extraordinary grace. Look, the, the, Paul does something really unique here. Uh, the, the, the Greek greeting, if I could talk about this just for a second, I promise I will not put you to sleep. The common Greek greeting for hello was rejoice or karen, right? It was just, it, was, it meant basically hello, so at the beginning of a letter, you'd say, you'd say, you know, Paul, so-and-so, writing to Joe, so-and-so, and, it, and then they would say, hello, or Karain. you know, hope you're having a good week, and then jump into the body of the letter. But Paul changes it. Instead of Karain or, 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 yeah, or something similar, he says karis or karis, right? Instead of Karain, it's karis, meaning grace. So Paul changes the greeting in Greek from hello to grace. Why would Paul do that? It's a prayer greeting. He wants the first thing he speaks to the Ephesian church to be grace. The first thing he says is grace. Uh, Paul is aware that he can't even say hello without referencing God's grace and asking God to give grace on his hearers. And then how does he end the letter? He ends it in Ephesians 6.24 with grace be with all. So what do we see here with Paul? That his his salutation, his greeting is grace. The letter is full of grace, and it ends with grace, right? Do you see this? Do you see what Paul is doing for every Christian? Every mundane moment of life is a place to both see God's grace and ask for God's grace. Grace for the Christian is not the doorway to the Christian life only. It is also the pathway of the Christian life. It's not as though here's the door called grace. We walk through it like, oh, cool. That was cool. Thanks for the grace. And then we continue in our own strength. No, we open the door called grace only to find that the path is grace. Look, this is the whole shape of the book. Ephesians 1 through 3, as we'll see, Paul lays out the extraordinary grace of God. Then in chapters 4 to 6, he lays out how that grace changes their everyday lives. Paul asks here at the outset that God give his readers grace and, and everything else he calls the church to do, you could say, falls under that prayer. Meaning, uh, chapter 4, he, he, he asks for God's grace that they might love each other well. He asks for God's grace that they might use speech well in chapter 4. He asks that they might use the, the gift of sexuality rightly and live their marriages well and, and live their family, parent, child relationships well in chapter 5. In chapter 6, he asks that they might wage spiritual warfare well by grace, Over and over in everyday stuff of life, in the mundane stuff of life, Paul prays at the outset that may the Lord give you grace. May the God who grants saving grace also grant sanctifying grace, Jesus following grace, looking more like Christ's grace in the mundane stuff of life. And then he adds, and peace, these two things are very much tied together. God's grace is the gift of unmerited favor. Peace closely follows it. Grace is the source in some ways. Peace is the effect. And all this, Paul says, is from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul references that this free grace given to the church in who who he is and who they are and what he asked God to do for them, all of that grace is not free. Grace is not free when it comes to the Christian. Grace is given at the cost of the Father giving up his Son and the cost of the Son giving up his life. Grace is for us absolutely unmerited, but in a real sense, it is not free. It was so costly that the Father gave His Son and the Son gave His life that we might be recipients of the saving, transforming, eternity-altering grace of God might come to us. Look, if, if, if you are here today, here, here's what I'm, I'm praying is true of you as we see these things. Look, I, I pray that you would see that that your story, if you're a Christian, is a story of God's grace. I'm praying that you would see your identity in Ephesians, as we see in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, over and over. We'd, you'd see your identity is grace. And then third, that you would see that grace then transforms the mundane details of your life, and grace is a play. Grace is, the, in a sense, of the, what, what enables all of the mundane good things that we're so used to from the Lord. They're all Grace for us. Let me end with with this. Uh, Ligonier, uh, a a wonderful ministry that served many people over the years, sums it up like this. They sent this out, I think, in a Christmas card one year. The essence of theology is grace. The essence of Christian ethics, meaning how to live as a Christian, the essence of Christian ethics is gratitude. That's the book of Ephesians. The essence of theology in chapters one through three, grace. The essence of how to live as a Christian, gratitude for the grace of God. So here's my burden for us, church. As we walk through this book over the next several months, that we would learn to see the grace of God in all our theology, in everything we think and believe about God, and then learn to live the Christian life dependent on the grace of God fully in gratitude for the grace of God. And here's what, here's what we've done. Uh, we, we're going to hand these out at the very end, but we've got these little, we've made these little stickers uh, that I hope you'll use one in, and, and this could be cheesy for one of these people that's like, oh, stickers are cheesy. Whatever, get out of here. Um, the, I like the stickers, okay? Here's, here's what I want to do over the next few months. I want us to see the grace of God in our lives and see the grace of God um, in the mundane. And so we've made these little stickers, and, and this is what they look like. It just says, Grace for blank. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. At the end of the service, grab one of these and write your name in it. You should not, in a sense, even as a Christian, be able to write your name. Without remembering across all the years of your life, the radical saving and sustaining grace of God, that he would save a self-righteous kid Pharisee like me is insane grace. Take that. And then if you want to, you can take a second one and write an area of your life that you need to ask for God's grace and remember To see God's grace. So for me, it might be chronic pain. I might take another one and just say grace for chronic pain. Because even though it hurts, and there are days that it's really annoying, God has been there every step of the way. Church, I use my wallet every day. I'll pull out my credit card, Jose Alcantar, Cross of Grace Church, and use it, swipe it, beep, move on with my day. And our days are filled with these kinds of mundane moments. But let me ask for something as we end. Let's ask that the Lord would allow us to see the radical grace of God, even in the everyday stuff of life. Amen? Let's stand and pray. Oh, Father, I do pray that as we go out this week, Lord, that you would help us, that you would give us eyes to see the grace of God in our lives. I pray for anyone here who, who may... Well, this may be the day that you interrupt their story with the grace of God. And I pray that you would pour out your grace on them today, saving grace. That they would see what they deserved is not grace, but what they've been given in Christ is grace. That they see who you are, believe in who you are, call out to you in faith, and in that moment be united with Christ such that when you died, you died for them. When you rose, you rose for them. And this is the new, a new day in their life. Pray you give them the grace of salvation. I pray for those of us who are Christians, Lord, that you would give us, well, really, the, the grace to see how radical your grace is, if I could pray that way again. And we' never become used to it, that your grace was for me. Oh, I pray that you would help us see. Amen.